take your seat. I invite you to take your seat while we... Um, I want to share with you this morning our, our, the, uh, our story, our text for our kind of our, our text for our context this morning. And it's actually two. I'm actually going to use a second one as well. But you all can see this first one up here. It's reading from the epistle to James, which was, and it's pseudonymously attributed to Paul. But most of the scholars don't think it was really Paul as the apostle. It was written much later. But it is written to a community of early followers, the anointed, the, they didn't really call themselves Christians back then, but the anointed or followers of the way. And so you can imagine uh, this early community, uh, in spite of the fact they're all following Jesus or following his ways, they were um, fighting amongst themselves. Imagine that, churches fighting amongst themselves. Um, so anyway, so this was the text. Let's read, I'll just read this and you can follow along there. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to you're, I love this. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. So that's, um, that's, that's the author, pseudonymously Paul, speaking to this early Christian community. I'm going to read this second text that actually is a, it's kind of a Palm Sunday text because it happens right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the, in the West Gate, the Sheep Gate. He's coming in, uh, riding on a donkey, of course, and palm, palm leaves. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. But this happens shortly thereafter. He goes into the temple and he sees that there are money changers because they're selling for, mostly for poor people to have uh, doves or other animals for sacrifice. But they're in the Gentile section of the temple. So in other words, the money changers and the, com the people dealing in commerce and whatnot, they are in the space that is reserved for those who are outside the immediate Jewish community that the temple even included those folks, and here they are being excluded because of folks selling stuff. And so Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it's written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a house of thieves. Amen. Take it deeper, then I get a real 
I invite you now, my friends, whether you're here in this room or joining us online, to pause for a moment. Take a deep breath. Get comfortable. This is an opportunity, a welcome for you to be and breathe and experience the mystery of community. What a beautiful, an amazing opportunity this is. It's a moment in our worship, a Kairos time that's not about what we capture on the clock. It's about breathing in and breathing out. It's about being rather than doing. It's about stopping long enough to reflect on who we are and how we act and what we believe and what we do. And those moments where even anger has inflamed us to action, whether it's for justice or for vengeance. It's a moment to allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed and to think differently because we can stop and surrender and breathe in and breathe out. And we can choose in this moment to be people who choose peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness and community over all those other things that would divide us. And we breathe in we and we breathe out I. And we breathe in love and we exhale all those barriers that keep us from being who we are, who we can be, who we long to be, who the world needs us to be. And we breathe in that strength and that resiliency and that purpose, and we breathe out all our failed attempts to go there. And in this moment, we are breathing in and breathing out unity and beauty. This is peace. You know, I was, I was just saying uh, uh, to, um, ah. <laughs> I was just saying after that song, um, the, uh, uh, what was the name of the, 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 the song? Oh, what's going on? You know, it hadn't occurred to me when we were talking about that song and picking that 
picking that up and using that. I mean, Kagan is, is, uh, was with us this week and joined with me and Brad and coming up with music and stuff. And that song is really a song. It's really a prayer, isn't it? It just hadn't really occurred to me. But was, it really, you know what brought it to mind? We were all singing it. And as we were all singing it, I was thinking to myself, yeah, this is, this is our prayer. It's coming up. We all resonate with that. So um, Kagan has been out of town and, and away for some time. Some of y'all remember when she sang with the band way back. Some of you remember two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic when I was having some interviews with different individuals that we had a nice conversation then, although I was literally trying to remember what that conversation was about, and I don't know, I don't remember now. <laughs> so, but I remember thinking it was a really good one. And, um, and so the, uh, she's been gone, and I'm just going to let you take a second and tell us where you've been, what you've been up to. Can you guys hear me? There it is. Alrighty. Hi. Um, again, my name is Kagan Parker. Um, I have been a part of 1111 for a while in spirit. Uh, I moved to Maryland, the DMV area. I lived right on the DC border um, and was just kind of experiencing life. I was born and raised here in Texas and I needed something a little bit different and different I got. Um, and I, I think I learned more about the world in the last five years than I have in my entire life, but I'm I'm back here now um, completing my degree in critical race theory at the University of Houston um, and want to be a part of a community again. I think that's something I learned about the East Coast that I really wasn't expecting um, was that the sense of community isn't really there because people are trying to survive um, and survival is at the forefront of everyone's mind and so there wasn't this, I didn't have any of that Southern comfort and I missed it um, and so I'm back. I'm here with my lovely father who's taken me in in his loving arms to support me through this transition, which has been <laughs> wonderful. Um, he's a great roommate, as is my stepmom. They're phenomenal, and they've been really great through this process. So it's, thank you guys for having me back. It's phenomenal to be here and see all your beautiful faces. That's cool. And you're, and you're back here for a little while. Yeah, I'm, I'm back for the foreseeable future. I don't yeah. have any plans after this, and uh, it's been really great to be back in Texas, back in the sun. Uh, I've really missed the sun. It's cloudy in Maryland, and I did not know that. No one warns me, and it's real gray, and I really miss the sunshine, so I, I think this will be where I'm, I'm going to be for a while. So we're really excited about you being back, too. Um, the, uh, so when we were talking after, after she got back and, and Kagan had visited with both of our Crafting Difficult Conversations groups, and as she had been in conversation about really what's a hot-button issue right now, critical race theory, but also in terms of talking about these deadly sins, right, that we sort of think about as other things that we do that is wrong, um, it, it, it really started to surface how much misunderstanding and how much fear and anxiety is involved in how we respond to things. Without, and so that whole aspect of understanding what's going on is lost. And so uh, I, I thought I would give you all this definition. I'm going to read something first that um, I heard in a podcast recently called Pulling the Thread, and, and um, Celeste um, Headley was the uh, guest, and I can't remember the host's name. Uh, she's an African-American uh, researcher and um, activist, and she had just recently written a book, and so they were having conversations on similar topics. But one of the things she said at the beginning, which I had never thought of, was Carl Rogers. Many of you know that name. Carl Rogers was sort of our modern father of psychology or, or psychotherapy, and he had the Rogerian technique of how you kind of engage with others, not simply in a parroting or mirroring kind of way, but you literally listen co creatively, compassionately, curiously, so that you're engaged in understanding. And so he wrote this that I thought is a great way to think about conversations in general. 
We, listen, we think we listen, but very rarely do we actually listen for real understanding, for true empathy. Yet listening of this very special kind is one of the most important and potent forces for change that we have. And I loved what she said in the, in the, in the podcast when she was simply saying, all we're doing is talking here. I'm not trying to change your mind. You're not trying to change my mind. All we're doing is listening for understanding, which is yet to happen in so many contexts. So, so to give us a context for what we're going to talk about, I said this one thing, and I want to ask you this question right off the bat because I've had feedback and, and uh, some confusion. I said at the very beginning of the series, sin is less about what we do and more about what we, I'm sorry, sin is less about what we do that is wrong and more about what we fail to do that is right. What does that say to you? Um, not to be contrarian. I feel like... Be contrarian. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's what I'm best at. So that idea, it really does, it resonated with me when I, I was reading it on the screen this morning and you sent it to me in our, in our you know, correspondence earlier this week and it was, it's it's deeply insightful because it, it insinuates that sin is not necessarily that you're doing something wrong, but that you're negating to do something right, but that still falls within the confines of duality. And I think sin completely just goes above all of that. It's not about right or wrong. It's about, is this harmful? Is this causing harm to me? Is this causing harm to you? Is this causing harm to the greater purpose and idea? And, and that does kind of, you know, encapsulate the idea of doing something right, the idea of moving forward, doing something that causes change. But I think for my interpretation of sin, I really do believe that it's when you're sinning, you're doing something that causes harm. And it's not like, oh, no, you shouldn't do this. But like, is your heart okay? Are the people around you okay? Did what you just did, did that cause harm in any sense? You may not have even been able to see what happened that caused harm. But if you think about it and step outside of yourself for a moment, what did you just do? And I think that's really honestly what God and the higher power is asking us to think about is what did you just do? Yeah, okay, so, so, so when we get right, okay, well, first of all, I wanna, I wanna say this one thing that I heard from, uh, that I read from Matthew Fox, because I think it's, I love how you bring it back to, there's something else going on behind what's going on. That, that, I mean, this is what people are doing that's wrong, and yet, what is, what's actually going on, yeah. you know? And so, Matthew Fox, who started the, this idea of creation spirituality, he said, just as smoke indicates fire, anger indicates love. It, it indicates passion itself. It's the, almost one of the rawest forms of passion, and love is, is part of that. You either are angry at someone because you love them and they're doing something you don't like, or you're in love with the world and you hate to see that bad things are going on and so you're angry with that, or someone's wronged you in some way or offended you in some way and your love and your passion in that situation kind of becomes anger. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, really, honestly, to be propelled by this feeling you're not really sure what to do with it. And I think that's part of the conversation that we've kind of been having is what is anger inviting you to do? Because it's not just there. It's a, it's a warning signal. We're, we're creatures. We're humans. We're, we're part of the biological realm. So it's what is this signal inspiring us to do? What is it asking us to do? What are we meant to do with this emotion? 
because it's not meant to be wasted. Nothing that's strong, like love, is meant to be wasted. So, so, okay, so, you know, and, and I hesitate to even bring the name up of our, of our newest Supreme Court Justice nominee. Uh, I'm going to say it wrong first. And I got Jackson in my mind. What's her first name? Katanji. See, I was going to say Katanji. But anyway, Katanji. Yes. And so Katanji, if you go, if you go and, you, and I listened in on him, I did listen in on him. And what was interesting was how much CRT came up, right? I mean, it's like all these different buzz, you know, hot button issues that we can kind of try to peg somebody on and sort of ensnare them in something. And so it came up quite a bit. I don't want to bring it up as a political thing. I really don't. But what I do want to bring up is what angers us so much, why we get so angry. And I, I wondered if you might just illuminate a little bit about critical race theory and what it is that you think causes so much anger. What's going on there? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm hoping you all witnessed uh, Katanji's hearing, and um, it was wild. Thank you for the applause. I thought it was wild. I was genuinely um, a little taken aback um, by what I witnessed. It was kind of um, humbling to watch her maintain her composure during that kind of just beratement and just belittlement of her intelligence and the work that she had done and the effort that she put into her entire career. It was not great. Um, And I I think he brought up, they brought up CRT as a whole to make her mad. And that's what this is all about. You wanna make people scared. You wanna make people upset. You wanna elicit some reaction because if she had acted out of turn, it would have been the excuse to shut her down. It would have been any, everything they needed. They would have had to, uh, to deny her the right that she absolutely had. She has earned this position and it has been a wonderful example of what it means to be justice. And so, yeah. Well, so explain for us then kind of what critical race theory is. Sure. In just a kind of a nutshell, if you can. I mean, I, I don't think you can in a nutshell, but try. <laughs> yeah, there's not really a nutshell to, to put it in. Um, I think I can explain what critical race theory is by explaining what it's not. It's, um, it's not divisive. It's not scary. It is not meant to separate us. It's meant to bring us together. Critical race theory focuses on acceptance of what's going on. Um, acceptance of systemic and structural racism, of, of oppression that occurs here in America, the poverty that we see and to be real about what's actually happening. It's not meant to scare anybody. It's actually deeply delivering. I didn't know what critical race theory was. I had no clue what I was getting myself into when I found this degree plan. I had um, begun a journey towards higher thought and my, my dad gave me the book From Slavery to Freedom and learning the history of African-Americans and how we've come and and been formed into this country inspired me to look deeper into who we are as a people today. And then critical race theory led me to even look outside of myself and look at who is America today? What are we up to? What are we doing? And what are we not addressing? Instead of just sitting around and talking about poverty, let's talk about the intersectionality that leads to poverty, education access to education, access to resources. Why are we impoverished? Why are there so many homeless people? Why are there still a pay gap between the genders? Why are there so many African-American and Mexican-American men in jail? And critical race theory gives you those answers. So instead of just sitting and talking about it and being sad about it, we get to learn why things are still sexist. And we get to understand what that does to someone, what it does to their trajectory in life, how you are perceived by the world 
and how that body that you live in is going to be treated moving forward in the world, that's what critical race theory talks about. I never really understood why I was treated the way I was treated in my environment. It never really made any sense. I knew I was different, but why was I different? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just like you guys. I'm just like anybody else. I'm a normal kid going to college. I got a family, I have dogs, and we all have a great time. So why are you guys asking me to step out of a picture at school? Why are you looking at me funny? Why am I being kept from things that I know that I should have access to? And it, it's intersectional. It's not just the color of my skin. It's my gender. It's my education. It's my class. I'm a middle-class American, so what does that look like? All of those things combine and explain your experience, give a voice to your experience, and help other people see your experience. And that goes for everybody. Because I didn't ever think that, that this kind of information would kind of speak to people that weren't minorities, but it does. It talks about what is it like to be a Caucasian male in his 50s who has been told his entire life that he has to do all this long list of things or he's a failure. What does that even look like? How much pressure do you feel with all of these social ideas being pushed against you at every turn and you go home and you just want to be a normal person, but when you go out into the world, they're treating you with expectations and they've never told you why. So, so this really, this, this gets to uh, something about anger that I wanted to tap into as well. And I want you to think about this, and you shared with me this, this uh, podcast, or no, it was an interview with Trevor Noah and, and, and Tarana Burke. Uh, uh, she was, uh, was she one of the founders of the Me Too movement? She was. Yeah. 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 And then also Black Lives Matter. And, and so she's interviewed with, with Trevor Noah and Brene Brown. And they've done a book together with essays and such. But um, think about some of the things you had shared with me there. But I want to, with this idea of anger, because we think of anger, again, as kind of a dualistic thing. You know, I'm, I'm, we have an object at which we're angry, angry, or a group of people at which we're angry, or something at which we're angry. But in, in reality, anger is an inward experience that is rooted in the word angst. It's actually, if you go back and look at the etymology, etymology, which I love to do, right? It, if you look at it, it's, it's connected to the word angst, which means anxiety or fear. There's a fear engaged in there. And, that, and of course, when we're not in touch with that fear, then we're, we're just responding mindlessly, if you will, out of our conditioning, out of some of those things you were just talking about. Um, what, did, what were they talking about that, that uh, really resonated with you? Um, so the, the interview, and I hope, I'm sure we'll share it somewhere, but the, yeah. the interview with Trevor Noah was discussing the, the book that they had coming out and the idea of um, vulnerability and authenticity and how anger is kind of the, the path to that kind of thing. Because your, your anger, your frustration, your angst, I think when we talked about it at first, it was the word angst kind of hit me different. I had always thought of anger as being mad but I don't really think that that's what it is. You're feeling anxious. It sits right here in your throat. You get choked up. You're confused and you're just kind of in a frenzy. And it's not madness as much as it is discomfort. And what do you do when you're uncomfortable? You try to protect yourself and you try to pull away. You want to get in a better situation. You don't want to be you know, anywhere near what's making you angry. But then there's an invitation to be vulnerable to sit in your discomfort for just a second 
and to understand why I'm feeling uncomfortable and then being brave and courageous enough to share that because that's what causes change. That's what's actually impactful. That's what community is based on is this vulnerability, this opportunity to sit and to share with one another about what's actually going on. And I think even this conversation is a vulnerable moment for me. This is a, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and one that I had to move through in a spiritual, emotional, and psychological way that I did not expect because I was angry when I first learned about CRT, when I first learned about what was actually going on, when I moved to Maryland and I saw the kind of oppression and suffering that I was not exposed to in our lovely little Fort Worth, you know, Metroplex, I was, I was pissed off. There was so much anger and I did, I felt it right here. I couldn't sleep, I really couldn't. I couldn't leave the house without choking up because I was seeing stuff that just didn't make any sense. So, and then I took the opportunity to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And my professors just embraced me and were like, babes, I feel you and we get it, but understand that this is the path to connectivity, that this is the path to community. Yeah, the, that, the idea of that, uh, that um, the anger that you were feeling, because that made me think of um, you know, the story about Jesus going in the temple. I mean, that was righteous anger. It definitely was righteous anger. But when we talk about righteous anger, sometimes I think we get back into that thing of good or bad, right? We get back into what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing, who's the right person, who's the wrong person. And, need, and none of that is, is actually the way to think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, because the, what is really being suggested, and that's our dualistic way of seeing things, right? But if we try to see things non-dually, then what we realize is that, right, that, that righteousness really literally means, like justice, right relationship that things and people and systems are in right relationship. And it's something, what's going on is that it's asymmetrical. Power is asymmetrical, wealth is asymmetrical, relationships are asymmetrical. If things are out of alignment, they're not in right relationship. So righteous anger really is like saying, there's something wrong here. Right, and it was, and I, and I, and I appreciate it, it wasn't righteous to begin with. It became a righteous right, anger, right, but right. it definitely wasn't righteous to begin with. I was mad, I was really mad. Because you've got this, I, I'm naturally a curious person, naturally very introspective. I'm very in my head all the time. So when I was going through this process and learning this information, all I did, all I could do was look back on my experience through this new lens that I had been provided. And my God, the mistreatment. Like people had treated me in a way that I couldn't even fathom. And looking back on it with the education and the terms and, and, the, and the terminology that helped me explain what was going on, I was mad because these people hugged me and treated me like, you know, I was one of the, one of the fam and in the same breath denied my very existence, neglected to make a space for me to feel seen. And that made me like just mm -hmm. like seeing red. I had to delete people off of Facebook. I didn't want to see people's faces. I didn't want to be in Texas. I couldn't do it because of the injustice that I had experienced on, a, on an interpersonal level. And then it became righteous when I realized that yeah, it was What brought deep. that around? What brought that around? Because that was very raw. What you just expressed was very raw feeling of this, of this abuse, essentially. I mean, really abuse. Yeah. So, so what brought you around then to seeing it in a more connective, you know, where, where you felt like you could speak to this with CRT in a way that's helpful? Um, after I had my, my moment, um, 
I realized that even in my experience, I was still deeply privileged. And that there were people that are experiencing things that I cannot even begin to put my head around that need a space to vocalize their experience, that need and deserve a space to be heard and seen and to have space made for them. And in my privilege, I wanted to do something about it. I've always loved people. I've always had a big heart for people. I love people. But what do you just do with that lovely feeling? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? And CRT gave me the tools I needed to do, like, you know, to do something about it because it was, I realized that, you know, not everybody has a, you know, a two-parent household. Not everybody has a dad who's willing to back them up at every corner. My dad comes out swinging for me. Like, there is not a day where I second guess if my dad's got my back. And I know that's not normal for everybody. Not everybody gets to go to a college preparatory high school, and I, that's where I went. I wore you know, the little uniforms, and I got a really great you know, education. I read all about Plato and Socrates, and not everybody gets to have that. And not everybody who looks like me even knows what that's like. So even in my disenfranchisement, even in my, it was really unfortunate, even in my unfortunate experience, I still was deeply privileged, and I wanted to do something about that, but what do you do with your privilege? What, what can you do? And you make space, that's well, what you do. I, well, that's a good segue, because we, we're, we're coming, we're gonna be back next Sunday and having more conversations, and we're, for the next couple of Sundays, we're gonna have these kinds of conversations, because I really think that to understand what it means to, this whole idea of sin really revolves more around our, our disconnection and how we live out of this brokenness and disconnection. And, and so part of it is recognizing the injustice, right? Um, and then part of it is giving space, as you're just suggesting. What else? Give us another thing we can do as a takeaway, right? From, I mean, just a little bit of a takeaway today. Oh, gosh. Um, that's actually more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there's a, a, a call for looking inward, like an actual call to being real with yourself about what's going on in your own life, in your own relationships, your relationships to the world, how you're feeling, what your experience has been like, what space you need, and how to give that space to yourself. And by creating that space for self, you're in turn creating space for other people because it's... I, I never really understood what my mom, my mom is, is incredibly wise, but my mom always told me that you can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself. You can't give from a place of need. That is not something that ends well ever. And I mean, no one's asking anybody to be a martyr as well. Like you're not, it just doesn't make any sense. So until you get right with self, it's very, very difficult to even begin to think about how you can do for other people because you've not even addressed your own needs. And as humans, we all have similar needs. We all kind of live in this world together and our needs coincide with one another. So until you address your own, until you look at your own disenfranchisement, until you look at your own privilege and the things that you need in your life to feel more grounded, to feel seen in yourself, not asking other people to see you. So I'm not asking anybody else to see me ever. I see me. And in turn, you all can see me because I know who I am. That is incredibly powerful. And in that I find there is the most 
deliverance from things like anger because I got to hold my anger. I got to like hold myself and be mad and understand that this is where I needed to be right now, that that was that I'm having a reaction to something and it's natural and it's fine. And instead of burying it and running away from those feelings and neglecting to talk about them out loud, I held myself. And that was just the most revolutionary thing. And in that moment, I thought about my mom and I was like, of course she was right. Um, she's, she's always right about those types of things. But now, because I'm not in a place of need, I'm not emotionally in a place of need, I'm not mentally in a place of need, I'm not out here healing from things and expecting people to make space for my healing, I've healed myself, and I can move forward and do something about the things that I see now because I've handled myself first. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really great. And one of the things that you're fascinated in and I'm with and that you've been doing some more studies in. And we'll talk about this more next week because next week this, the, uh, the, the uh, deadly sin is gluttony, which is, our, you know, which is a really interesting one because it's a word that carries all sorts of baggage and we miss the whole point. I really do think, like everything else, we miss the point because I really think it has to do more with not simply body, which is such a, a narrative dis, disjuncture and injustice that we do to ourselves and one another, but body politic, the body of, of Christ, if you will, the cosmic body, the body of our interrelatedness that we, that we completely mistreat in this process. And it really ties into this. So we'll talk a little bit more about mindfulness in that context as well. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, we're going to have, and, and we're going to bring some more thoughts with CRT as well. But um, it's so good to see you all here this morning. But I am really glad that you're going to be with us and that you're with, with us this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you, for guys. For being present.